tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Exciting stuff in the Bible today. Once again, the big book on the coffee table. It justifies its other title as the good book. So let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have a right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle, be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, all that said, let us go to the big book on the coffee table. The Bible. Let's go to the gospel first, okay? Because I want to spend some time with the uh, the first reading. Well, I want to spend some time with the gospel. This is Luke, the 21st chapter, the 12th verse to the 19th. And it's it's fascinating to me. Um, uh, the the uh, Jesus says at the end of this, you will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will be destroyed. By your perseverance, you will secure your lives. But he says some of you are going to be killed. What can he be, what did they will put some of you to death? That's then, then he says, but you're not going to get killed. Well, that's because of eternal life. I mean, look at the contradiction. It isn't a contradiction at all. Jesus is promising eternal life to those who persist in, uh, um, um, in, in, in being faithful to him to the end. And, um, you know, I, I said yesterday about um, the, um, you know, that I really believe the, these particular passages deal with the end of Jerusalem primarily. But that doesn't mean they don't also appeal to the end of the world. You know, this world is going to end. And uh, had a, attended an interesting uh, uh, lecture last night uh, in which Father Brank and my classmates spoke very well about um, um the uh, the Catholic view of the end of the world. And one of the things he said about, uh, uh, he mentioned was the great apostasy. <laughs> In other words, people leaving the church by the millions. Now, the, the church is continuing to grow by leaps and bounds in places like Africa and Asia. And Christianity is holding on to uh, uh, to Latin America, but not Catholic Christianity. Uh, and he said something very interesting. He said that when he was a kid, he always thought that, well, everybody become Catholic and then the world would end. 
quite the opposite. That this idea of the great apostasy, I think apostasies, which means it's a Greek word. I should have made it the word of the day. Now I got another word of the day. Apostasis, which means to stand apart. That 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 uh, these people writing into churches to get unbaptized—that's an apostasy. A stand apart. Um, this is an interesting time, and and I don't think it's a bad time. I mean, it's it's very sad that that people do that because it has to do with their immortal souls. But on the other hand, um, oh gosh, I'm about to go off on a tirade. Darn it. <sighs> Not well, I suppose Teutonic enough, yeah. Um there, there's a Teutonic tirade music. I don't want to talk about this. I wanted to get to the first reading because it's so fascinating, but we'll get there. Oy. We had a caller call in and I, I need to apologize because I got a little bit snarky. This was this was a couple months ago. About um shouldn't the pastor ask what masses are convenient before he canceled masses? We're in a state of apostasy in this country. Again, in the archdiocese whence I come, they used to to talk about the 2,400,000 people were Catholics, of whom 10% went to Mass on Sunday. And it was, I think, 75% when I was ordained in 1975, and there were 500 parishes. Now there are half the parishes. Um, and I think half the priests, uh, maybe even less than half the priests, and most of them are old guys like me. Um, but there isn't, Cardinal George was fond of pointing out, there isn't really a priest shortage. There are just as many priests per participating Catholic. And pre-COVID, I guess, uh, Father Rankin quoted statistics in his talk about uh, 20% um, uh, went to church pre-COVID. But after things opened up again post-COVID, which we're not really post-COVID, but we're a little more sane about it, um, uh, post-COVID was, it's 10%. That means of the 2 million people who claim to be Catholic, only 200,000 go to church on a Sunday. And I would say if you're not going to church on a Sunday, you know, you're in apostasy. In other words, you're standing apart from the congregation. When I was a boy and the woolly mammoth roamed, mass was Sunday morning. Well, that's very inconvenient. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's really inconvenient. And I made the point that Calvary was just very inconvenient. The Blessed Mother was hoping there'd be a better choir. And the disciples would have come if the seating had been more comfortable or the sermon short. You see where I'm going with this? Mass is not a convenience. It is a privilege. And uh, the talk was about uh, the Eucharistic uh, revival. And he was making the point that we we thought, oh, I'm going to, oh, dear. <sighs> ah, the truth is the truth. Uh that we methodically took away the supports for Eucharistic devotions. Now they've come back roaring, you know, processions, uh, uh, holy hours, uh, Eucharistic uh, 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 celebrations. Different. We, but on the other hand, we still forbid certain kinds of Eucharistic devotions. And that goes back to the seminary in which I was taught. Well, I will never forget the dean of studies at the seminary. I will not mention any names, but he left the priesthood and uh, shortly after this. But this was when communion was still on the tongue. Uh, of course, we were standing for communion because that was, you know, the, the methodical uh, uh, 
changes in Eucharistic piety. We're already beginning, but he's going, body of Christ, body of Christ, body of Christ. One fell on the floor. He said to the young man, pick it up. It's yours. This was the Eucharistic piety. And I will never forget uh, one priest in the seminary who just because he wanted to show that, that uh, well, this was not that sacred. He picked up the patent and purified it by blowing on it. That was in my graduate school. He blew the crumbs off. And I'll never forget uh, 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 a person who was on the liturgy committee, who also has since left the priesthood, who talked about uh, cookie worship. He called, this was the seminary I went through. And we're longing for Eucharistic revival because the Eucharist, according to the Second Vatican Council, is the source and summit of our faith. And it is. It's it's. It's Christ present according to his promise. I will be with you all days until the end of the earth. But, you know, the, 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 we can't have it both ways. We can't have an informality about the Eucharist and a Eucharistic revival. Um, and I think it really needs to begin with us priests. I really think Eucharistic renewal and revival has to begin with us, the clergy, and, and rediscovering the absolute beauty of of what we do. And one of the problems, now here we go. Oh dear. I mentioned all those statistics. We have half the parishes, half the priests, but we still have two thirds of the masses. Oh father. Yes. There's just too many masses, but don't cancel my mass. What do you mean your mass? When I was a boy, there was no such thing as mass on, on, on Saturday night. Well, what if you have to work on Sunday? You know, uh, you know that I, I, have spent a lot of time with Orthodox Jews. And Orthodox Jews would rather die than violate Shabbos, Sabbath. I'll never forget Rabbi Lefkowitz, may he rest in peace. Um, he was in the hospital and had been discharged. And somehow they just left him sitting in the, in the, in a wheelchair in the, and he was a big man. They left him sitting in a wheelchair in, uh, in, uh, the hall while they had found someone who could take his, his, uh, his heart catheter out and he is getting more and more agitated because the sun is going down and he could not possibly move after sundown. And he said, I am, I am discharging myself and the poor little Filipina nurses. They were terrified because it's a big guy and he's getting agitated. And so they, they you're on your own. He went home with tubes dragging out of him. And I got a, a friend of mine who's a nurse, Dorsey, may God bless her. She, uh, she came over to take the heart catheter on. That was, that was okay, kosher. He wasn't doing the work. She was. But he would have willingly died lest he violate Shabbos. Well, I don't, if you cancel the Saturday night mass, that's my mass. And it's, it'll be inconvenient. You get up extra early, you find a church that has an early mass on Sunday or a late mass on Sunday, but we keep trying to keep all the pie plates spinning. And in so doing, we are militating against Eucharistic revival. You know, the, the, the very inconvenience of the Holy Eucharist <laughs> is important. This is not a life of convenience that we as Christians are, are, are seeking and Maybe I'm wrong about this, uh, but, but I just, it grieves me because I really, I, I, you know, for me, the Blessed Sacrament is where I find Christ most perfectly. You know, I pray, I, you know, my, I believe the life should be a conversation with Christ. 
uh, um, going on through the day. But there are those moments when I sit before the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, and there he is, and there I am. It's real to me. But on the other hand, if you just, you know, you know, Father, you got to say eight Masses this weekend, pretty soon it doesn't mean that much to Father. A priest may say two Masses on a weekend. He may say more for good pastoral reasons, but he should ask permission if possible. Two Masses on a weekend. I know guys who say eight. And I think it militates against Eucharistic piety. I One more. I'll get back to the Bible in a minute. I, I'm sorry, but this is just something that it breaks my heart that people, especially uh, children, do not understand how precious this gift is. But I think most of us adults do, don't either. <coughs> Excuse me. I, I'm sorry. I should find the cough button. But eh. and we're having a conversation with just a couple of friends here. That's all. Um, you know... Uh, I've told you about the Sudanese martyrs in the 60s, uh, that the government would put planes in the air on Sunday. They'd bombed all the churches in South Sudan, but they would put planes in the air. And if they saw large groups of people going toward the forest, uh, they knew that there was a mass there and they would just bomb them. It's estimated that two million people died in the attempt to go to Sunday mass. Well, that isn't very convenient. No, but it's 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 what this gospel is about. Look at this gospel again. Look at this gospel again. You know, I myself will give you a wisdom in speaking that your adversaries will be powerless to resist. You'll be handed over by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. When was the last time you were hated because of your faith? If you can say, well, I know some people hate me because of my faith. Congratulations. You know, uh, the great apostasy, uh, and I don't know that we're there yet, but boy, there's there's real apostasy. It is something that is promised uh, in Scripture and in the tradition. And I think we need to cope with it and realize that, that being a Catholic, this isn't a religion for, for people who want a convenient thing. So let me get back to the text. Let me go to the first, the first read. I'm sorry. I just, I'm just so concerned about this that that uh, it's almost time for a break the voice of my head said but yeah but i gotta i gotta talk about this in the first reading this is a wonderful passage first of all king belshazzar isn't that a great name well king belshazzar was uh, there i think there was a controversy that at this time the king was not belshazzar that was the son of king nabonidus and and he claimed Belshazzar came to claim to be the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, which he wasn't. Well, that was just political claim. Um, but uh, uh, he ordered the gold and silver vessels, which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, Nebuchadnezzar was not his father, but that was the 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 political spin that oh yes, he was the grandson, thus the son of of Nebuchadnezzar. Well, what about Nabonidus? Wasn't he the emperor? They were, they were, or the king, they were, they were, in, they were very common in the ancient world that you enthroned the heir just to make sure the transition was smooth. So Nabonidus was King A and Belshazzar was King B. And this is just another verse when you look at the customs of the time that confirms that the scriptures are accurate. Well, he's feasting with the, the gold and silver vessels taken from the temple in Jerusalem and, um, uh, uh, with the king, his lords, his wives, and his entertainers were drinking wine from them and praising their gods of gold and silver, bronze, and stone. Suddenly, opposite the lampstand, 
the fingers of a human hand appeared. And they called in Daniel, who was an old man at this time. He had been through all of this. And uh, the king says, uh, the, what happens is a, a hand with a finger writing on the wall appeared. And, and Belshazzar was terrified. And they called in this Daniel with the gift of uh, the prophetic gift. He says, I'll make you the, 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 he says, I'll make you, I think it's the third man in the kingdom. Uh, uh, you shall be clothed in purple, wear a gold collar about your neck and be the third in the government of the kingdom. Why the third? Because Nabonidus was the, the, the king and Belshazzar was the vice king. So he would be the third. This is, this is good history here. So, uh, um, <clears throat> Daniel said, you keep your gifts in your presence, give them to someone else, but I'll tell you what it means. And he says, uh, this is what the writing means. Mene tekel peres. God has numbered you. You've been weighed and your kingdom has been divided. It will be given to the Medes and the Persians. Good night. I'm going to bed. That kind of thing. Well, this idea of the finger of God, this is a very important biblical concept. The finger of God. Let's see, I, which I actually looked up. It's mentioned frequently in the Holy Scriptures. We see it in um, uh, um, the 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 uh, the book of Exodus a number of times. That in Exodus eight, chapter eight, the plagues of Egypt, the magicians say this has happened by the finger of God, and then the Ten Commandments in uh, Deuteronomy nine ten were written by the finger of God, and and Jesus talks about the casting out of demons. By the finger of God, Jesus calls himself, in a certain sense, the finger of God. So Jesus is the hand by which the commandments were written, the hand by which Pharaoh's magicians were defeated, the hand that wrote on the wall at the Feast of Belshazzar. So uh, I think that that's kind of interesting. So uh, I just wanted to, to remind you of that. Um, sorry that I... I just, I'm so grieved by it. I'm just so grieved by it that, that, that we just don't seem to want to sit down and tell ourselves the truth about what's going on in the faith that, that, uh, that we need, we need to, to do some serious thinking about, about, uh, the holiness of the priesthood, about the responsibilities of the episcopate and the, the, the spiritual life of all of them, but especially of the people of God. You know, we, the clergy, bishops, priests, deacons, and religious women, we're not the church. We're the servants of the church. All of us together are the church. And, and we need to see ourselves as exactly that. Not, not the leaders of the church, but the heads of the church. I, I shared that about what Cardinal George said about headship. Uh, once when a reporter asked him, are you as leader of the diocese? And he said, I'm not the leader of the diocese. I'm the head of the diocese. Well, what's the difference? The head is the servant of the body. And we need to remember that we're, we're their servants. And sometimes if you're a good servant and a good steward, you have to do some things that maybe the person you're serving doesn't particularly like. That, that's the difference between headship uh, and, and uh I think the service, which is headship and the service, which is slavery, we're slaves to God. Uh, but, but headship involves decision-making real, honest decision-making. Don't forget the definition of love. Love is to will the good of another. And by just keeping it all going and, and, um, <clears throat> uh, trying to, you know, we, the clergy don't like it when people are mad at us. At least I don't, uh, well, Sometimes you have to say hard things. Uh, 
and that's more loving. I, I, hear I'm, I should shut up. We're done with the... One more thing. If you're a parent, you know that you say the word no with more love than you say the word yes. Your kids want something. Yeah, you can know. Oh, I love you, Dad. Uh, I want something. No, you can't have it. It's not good for you. Uh, so there you go. Uh, the phone, I should, okay, enough. What was I, I thinking about here? Um, the, um, you know, that you want your kids to like you. And when you say no, they say, I hate you. I can't stand that you're my father. I can't wait to move out of here. You know that as a parent, when you say no, you want your kids to like you. And when you say no to your children, you do it with more love than when you say yes. Because you're looking out for their good. Now you can you can be the kind of parent who never says yes. That's not what I'm saying. Okay, enough. The phones are open at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Sorry, I'm in a mood. Oi. Well, the Bible tells us about a man who ruled Babylon and all its land. Around the city he built a wall and declared it Babylon. If you are in the market for health insurance, our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help you and your family find the most cost-effective health plan. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash forester. We just keep on keeping on. Oh, well, what are you going to do? Um, you know, Catholicism is a breathtakingly beautiful religion. I mean, just as a religion. And I think we forgot that for a while, and we're starting to remember it. Um, uh, the devil is the foe of human creativity. He hates children, which are the ultimate... <laughs> the ultimate human art project. Uh, but he also hates good music, good architecture, good literature. Um, the devil can't stand those things. Uh, there's beautiful modern architecture. But then there's, like I say, churches from the, like spaceships from the planet ugly. That, that modern art designed to shock is not art. It's just shock. But then there's some very beautiful, beautiful modern churches. And, uh, I think part of the Eucharistic revival, we have to think of beauty. I mean, this is, you know, Jesus said, if when they said, tell the people to be silent on Palm Sunday, he said, if they're silent, the very stones will cry out. And beautiful church architecture to me are the very stones crying out that God is to be worshipped. But again, I'm digressing. Let's go to letters. Okay, I got letters. Let's see here. Boy, have I got letters. All right. There was one here I wanted to, to pull up. Oh, dear. Where did I put it? Well, it'll show up at some point. This is one. This is from, let me make sure to one of you. Yes, this is from Terrence. Um, <laughs> this is interesting. This is another language uh, wonk, I think, uh, from North Windham, Maine. Father, I'm prompted to write this following the call about the gender of wisdom. I've learned that gender is a language term. Versus sex is a biological distinction term. I still use the word gender in, in referring to biological term, but I think you're right about the distinction. These terms cannot be completely interchangeable. 
Tell that to the earthly powers that be, however. And as C.S. Lewis wrote somewhere, God is more masculine than the male. Cardinal Miller observes that within the recent synod of the, of the, uh, of the oh, good grief, there's a little thing that wants my undivided attention on the computer, uh, that in the recent synod, uh, um, uh, speaking of the Spirit without considering that the Holy Spirit is a divine person and not a fluid being can therefore only ever be mentioned together with the Son and the Father. I think that's very interesting, that the Holy Spirit is grammatically neuter. Pneuma is a neuter word. Let me explain gender in, in language. <clears throat> I really do believe it comes from uh, a rather primitive understanding of, of the material world. Ancient people saw natural phenomena as invested with personality, with personhood. And persons are either masculine or feminine. And so a tree, well, the tree, he is growing big. Uh, 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 the boat, the boat, she is a fine old craft. That, that things, natural things that seem to <clears throat> have personality were assigned genders. Uh, and there were some that were not either. That in Latin is neuter. Uh, so you had masculine and feminine in most languages but also in many languages you had neuter, uh, but there were only those three possibilities. Uh, so that's gender. And so people will look at a word like, like uh, Sophia, which is Greek for wisdom and say, well, wisdom is, is a woman. No, wisdom is, is grammatically fe uh, feminine. It is wisdom is not a woman. You can take it way too far. And I think that's the point that Terence is making. And I think he's absolutely correct. So thanks for the note, Terence. This, this idea of gender is, is a very, very difficult thing linguistically. I just wanted to mention this wonderful letter from Steve in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, I, it's a long one, but it's about his son who was ordained a priest. I had the great honor last Friday to the ordination mass of my eldest son, Daniel. Uh, he, he was ordained, he was deacon, a transitional deacon. I, I don't like that phrase. You'll forgive me. We have permanent deacons and transitional deacons. That's, you know, yeah, I think you just have deacons. Um, there are some who are not intended nor intending to go on to be ordained as presbyters, as priests, uh, but they are no more or less deacons than those who are transitional. Um, <clears throat> I really believe in the diaconate. I think that the diaconate is, is very much part of the way uh, that the Holy Spirit designed uh, the early church. Uh, it's a Hebrew concept that the synagogue attendant was, I think it's the shamash, which really means helper. And diakonos is the Greek word for uh, a steward, like a, a minister. The word minister, it, that means a servant, not a slave necessarily, but probably. Diakonos is the Greek. Diakonos means a table waiter. Minister is the uh, Latin, it means table waiter. And I think that's very important for you to understand the etymology of the word because people say, well, my ministry, uh, and it makes one sound very, very grand. I have a ministry. No, that means your table service. What tables, what tables are you waiting? <laughs> it's, uh, I remember a, a person who was rather grand, uh, uh, a Spanish speaker who had actually taken a couple of law courses. So he thought he was very well educated and he, uh, <clears throat> When I was explaining this to a board on which I said, there's a reason they call them board meetings, but I digress. Uh, the, the, uh, he said, well, I said, well, the deacon means table. And he says, well, Father, in our language, that's rather a, a, 
a demeaning term, you know, mesero in Spanish. I said, it is in Greek too. <laughs> you know, it means table waiter and it was usually a slave. Uh, uh, so St. Paul's bragging about his table service, his diaconia in certain places, that sort of thing. Um, so uh, that table service is part of holy orders. And um, I really think it's an important part of holy orders. Uh, and, and I think a lot of what a parish priest is expected to do is uh, diaconia. It's the service of table waiting. And I'm a deacon. I mean, I was ordained a deacon. I didn't lose the character of the diaconate. But uh, I was ordained a presbyter. And it's very interesting. It sounds rather, oh, I'm, I'm digressing completely today. I'm sorry. But eh, why not? Um, yeah, we don't even know what I Steve still... was saying, do we? <laughs> Yeah, not yet. We'll get there eventually. It's a long letter. There's lots to go on. But uh, the uh, um, where was I with the the diaconia? I I, I uh, oh dear. I now I've lost the train of my thought. It's e- which is easy to do in my in my head. You you uh, were saying, Father, that you that you didn't lose any of your diaconal character. Yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't lose any of my diaconia. It's rather sounds rather arrogant when the when the when the when the apostles say. Uh, it's not fitting for us to wait on table. Let us appoint deacons. And so they appointed seven table waiters to arbit the disputes about who gets what among the Greek speakers and among the Aramaic speakers. So you see that in the Acts of the Apostles. It wasn't arrogant at all. I remember when I was a kid and worked summers, I worked in a paint factory in a warehouse. I picked paint, which meant, you know, we always tried to get up to 16 tons a day. I could only get up to moving like 12 tons a day. It was it was hard work. Um <clears throat> But there was a, a foreman who was a great guy, and things would get all balled up in um, right at where the paint pallets had to get pallets full of gallons of paint had to get out to the loading dock, and you'd get a bunch of pallets there. There'd be no forklift truck, uh, uh, and it was a mess. Uh, and then. The foreman would, would, you know, sort of uttering imprecations, would leave his desk and he would go to uh, um, hop on a forklift and move all the paint pallets. And I was telling my brother this. My brother, he ran a, a factory and, and uh, um, he just shook his head. And I said, what? What, John? He said, that's the best paid forklift truck driver in Chicago. In other words, if this guy had been doing his job, the mess wouldn't have happened in the first place. And so he had to do someone else's job that he had not provided for in his management position. So when I, if, you know, I remember a woman who, <laughs> uh, you know, in one of my parishes, uh, uh, people would come up to help with communion, some of them dressed in these flowing and diaphanous gowns and another woman who was a saint, she would wear a pink sweatsuit to Mass every Sunday, a pink sweatsuit with a green stocking cap. And she would come up to help with communion. Now, she was a saint, but somehow to see these people, some of them in diaphanous purple robes, and so what I did was I got standard kind of those graduation robes, and, you know, we, you know, uh, they covered the multitude of bad taste. Oh, and this one woman, she was the most diaphanous and brightly colored of the dress wearers. She is no longer with us, so I'm not going to hurt her feelings. Um, uh, she, oh, Father, I cannot possibly wear those grim black robes. Well, they were black and they had matching, you know, liturgical color collars. It, it worked. Um, <clears throat> 
uh, and it added a lot of dignity to the liturgy. Well, oh, Father, I cannot possibly wear that grim-colored robe. Uh, you've ruined my ministry. I've ruined your ministry. It's not your ministry. You're the extraordinary minister of communion. You're not the minister of communion. It's not your ministry. It's not your diaconia. And when we need your help, we're very grateful for it. But what we don't need your help, we don't need it. I've been at masses where I'll never forget. There was a woman who was, I think she was a theology teacher. And her ministry at that mass was to share the prayers of the faithful. No one included me in, and I looked around. Nobody's sharing the prayers of the faithful, so I, I, I read the prayers of the faithful. She was furious with me that I had taken her ministry. I'd taken her table waiting. You know, that this is, this is, this is diaconia. So I totally off on this. And I am so grateful for the real deacons I have had. I, I, I think of two in particular, John Green, who now lives in Ohio and Deacon John Chickleary, who were real deacons. They, they were, they, they believed in their, their ministry and it was truly their ministry. But I digress. Let's get back to good old, uh, uh, Steve. Um, he was just so proud of it. And the next day there was a morning mass at the home parish. He preached his first homily. It was less formal, but still parts of the mass were sung. Uh, <clears throat> mass was followed by a brunch reception and several people came up to my wife and I remarked that we must be so proud of Daniel. I was tempted to say I'm proud of all of my sons. That is exactly the reason I'm reading this. That is exactly why I'm reading this. My mother, when they would come, say, you must be so proud to have a son who's a priest. She would say, I'm proud of all my children. You know, that she understood that we were doing what we believe God had called us to do. That, 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 well, it's my right to this. No, it's not. It's your calling. It's a gift. So at any rate, let's see here. Uh, there was a vigil mass Saturday evening. The level of formality had dropped again. After the greeting of the penitential act, I heard the familiar notes of the My Little Pony Gloria. There we go. <laughs> Uh, okay, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. What is friendship Oh, yes. Yes. Music. Okay, you can stop it. It hurts. Uh, you know my saying, food and music should not hurt. You know that, that uh, the glory of Palestrina, the beauty of Gregorian chant, the, 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 the great art, uh, musical and visual, has come down to the My Little Pony Gloria, a song designed to sell plastic junk to seven-year-old girls. Oh, well. Am I bitter? No. All right, let's move on. Another letter somewhere. I'm in a mood today, aren't I? Eh? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. The, uh, the, the voice of my is saying, let's take a break. Calm down. Okay, we're going to take a break. I'll try to calm down. Let me put a cold cloth on my forehead. And uh, the phone number is 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Oh, a waltz. That always helps. Today, we'd like to thank Steve, who is listening in Wisconsin, for donating his 1981 Kawasaki motorcycle. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. That's relevantradio.com slash car. Oh, dear. Burning the midnight oil. That's a 
interesting phrase. I'll have to look it up. All right. Before we launch into the next segment, I wanted to remind you of two nice things. You can go to relevantradio.com and you can find carols of comfort and joy celebrating Advent and Christmas with songs for all ages. It, it's, you know, it's beautiful. Uh, so carols of comfort and joy. Also, the Merry Beggars is going to present the Christmas carol one more time. Again, or rather again, I don't hope not just one more time, but again, you can get that at relevantradio.com. So those are some things. Uh, and don't forget Father Rocky's latest video. I mean, I think, you know, this the Eucharistic or the, the Eucharistic Congress in Indianapolis, at which I plan to be, God willing, uh, in uh, uh, July. Um, it's in July, isn't it? I'm sure it is. <laughs> Absolutely sure. Yes. Positive, I hope. Yes, it's in July. Um, you can get information also at the website and, uh, um, you know, make your reservations early. There are so many hotel rooms in Indianapolis, and I have a feeling it is going to fill up, and, and I, I, I'm looking forward to it. So see you there. All right. Uh, you can get information. Carols of Comfort and Joy. The Mary Beggar's presentation of the of Dickens Christmas Carol and uh information on uh the Eucharistic Congress and hear Father Rocky's latest uh latest segment on the Eucharistic revival. They really are good, so great stories. All right, let us now go to where are we going? The word of the day. I don't think it miss what you think it miss. That's great. I love that. That's from uh uh Princess Bride. Princess Bride, there you there you go. All right, in the gospel today, we see the word uh, witness. Very, and yeah, you probably know this, and so I'll make it short. Um, that that uh, there you'll be handed over to kings and governors. It will lead to your giving testimony. What is testimony? Well, the word testimony is martyrion, from which we get the word martyr. You know, this may involve lions. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, people say, I'm going to go out witnessing. Well, when the early Christians talked about witnessing, it may or may not involve death. So, uh, uh, but Jesus promises us, even if they kill us, not a hair of our head will be harmed. We'll, we'll get it all in the resurrection. All right, let us now go to phone calls. Telegram for you, sir. He gets mad because he can't read. Oh, I see. I can read, pretty much. Connie from Arizona, what can I do for you? Yeah. Hi, Father. Um, I, I, my whole family has been cradle Catholics practicing. Mm -hmm. um, but um, lately, I'm the only one practicing. And my, mm. I have one of my siblings who is being very critical of the church. Um, so we used to um, all gather around because my father was a big Irish Notre Dame fan uh, uh, football, but yes. um, because he was Irish and Catholic. But um, mm -hmm. so my brother is, he's kind of trying to find all the things wrong with um, Notre Dame because they're Catholic. He has joined a non-denominational fellowship. So uh, oh. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you know, uh, help him out here and get him back to the church. Uh, we had a big discussion Saturday, and I, I just ended up saying, you know, the the devil's working everywhere, especially in the Catholic Church, because we're the true true church. We have the deposit of faith. We have the truth. 
of Jesus in the Eucharist. And that was the end of the conversation. So I'm just yeah, well, wondering just, if you have an opinion or what we can do. <laughs> oh, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, who was it? Was it what was it Dillinger or some criminal said when asked, why do you rob banks? He said, because that's where the money is. And that's why the, the devil goes after the Catholic Church and just say, what are you going to do when somebody disappoints you in your non-denominational church? So, of course, Catholics are bad. That's why we're Catholics. We need it. And I'm so glad that you're saintly out that you don't need the church. Good luck with that. You know, uh, that's what I would say. What are you going to do when your minister disappoints you or when someone hurts your feelings in that church? You're going to find a better church. You find the perfect church. And the minute you join it, it won't be perfect anymore. And that's that's what I would say to him. And you're free to do this, but you're losing you're losing so much. So yeah, of course we Catholics are bad. That's why we're Catholics. We need it. At least I do. So does that help? <laughs> yes, Father. Thank you. Yeah, never answer the way they think you're going to answer. Confuse them. <laughs> That's my motto. <laughs> All right. Well, God bless, Connie. Uh, and have him listen to Relevant Radio. He can call in and argue with me. I like to argue with people. It's fun. I mean, I, for there their own go. good, of course. It's <laughs> <laughs> yes, only thinking of them. God bless. Thanks for listening, Connie. Thank you. All right. You bet. Bye-bye. Uh, all right. Let's go to Dana, from, who's calling in from Los Angeles, California. Los Angeles, what can I do for you? Hi, Father. Um, so I'm looking to get married in early April 2025. So I'm kind of yes. planning early. I've talked to two parishes so far, and I've been told that weddings are not allowed throughout all of Glen. So I was just wondering, is this true for all Catholic churches, or is it more parish-dependent? Well, it's more diocesan-dependent, really. Uh, um, okay. Yeah, the the different diocese. The bishop is the is the protector of the liturgy in his diocese, and if he feels that's appropriate, then it is. Um, I'm I, I it is certainly the general practice uh, uh, that we don't have uh, uh, mastering Lent. Uh, it's not it's 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 not the practice. Um, uh, there's no real answer to the question. It's sort of, it's, it's mm, depends. There's no universal rule in the church that prohibits it. Um, mm -hmm. but the, the, uh, it is definitely discouraged. So weddings, for instance, are forbidden on Good Friday and Holy Saturday. Uh, um, yeah. so you can't do them. And that I think that some bishops feel it's appropriate to extend that to Lent. So it depends on your bishop. That's the best I okay. can tell you. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, some pastors may make that decision, but in terms of a rule, I think that would be in, in the purview of the bishop. So I hope that helps. And again, if someone wiser than I, which there are a lot of people that fit that description, mm -hmm. is listening and knows the specific of it, I would appreciate that information. But there is, to the best of my knowledge, no universal church rule that forbids marriages during Lent. Uh, there you go. So I hope that helps. Thank you so much. Yes, it God bless. Thank you. All right. God bless. Bye. Okay. Let's go back to this. Uh, let's see who we got. Oh, Jessica from, from Wisconsin, beautiful Wisconsin, just north of the Cheddar Curtain, as I call it. What can I do for you, Jessica? Hi, Father. I need to pick your brain. I um, have worked with a friend for years, and then we became friends yeah. outside of work, and she's non-denominational, or so I thought, and learned a 
learned later on in last year or so that she was Catholic, raised Catholic, and pretty much left the church with the priest scandal and very adamant that she's never going back. But anyway, her 10-year-old daughter, um, she's like, you know, I really should do something. And and I've been really praying for her. So I was really shocked the other day when she said she was enrolling her in a a four-week Lutheran First Communion. And I'm invited Sunday. And I'm like, ah! It's not what I'm praying for. No. I'm glad she's going back to Jesus, but I, I didn't get well, over yeah, far enough the tracks. <laughs> yeah, I, so no, I would not. I would not should go. I go? I mean, I don't know. No, okay. No, 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 that's apostasy. I didn't think she's so. committed apostasy. You know, and just say, so I'm so happy that you're I mean, coming I'm... back to the Lord and send a nice little present, a nice Catholic gift like a crucifix. That's I didn't I know if I should celebrate that or uh, it was awkward. No, you're not. I, you know, it's very awkward. It's very awkward. And if she says, I, I'm so hurt you didn't come say, so well, you're following your conscience and I'm so glad you are. I have to follow mine. And I respect you for following your conscience, but I have to follow mine too. And I hope you'll respect me for that. I love you. I love your daughter. And I pray that she grows closer and closer to Jesus because you see, we do love Jesus. And again, the Catholic Church is is not the refuge of saints. It's the hospital for sinners. And uh, uh, as I said to the other woman, and uh, you know that. Uh, um, it, it, and again, I would I, if she gets into it with you, I would say, what are you going to do when a Lutheran minister disappoints you? Are you going to leave the church? Are you going to leave the Lutheran church then? You know, you're in it for Christ, not for the not for the clergy. If you're a Catholic mm-hmm. because of the clergy. If you're a Lutheran because of the clergy, if you're a Methodist because of the clergy, you're not going to be a Catholic, a Lutheran, or a Methodist for long because we're not saved by the clergy. We're saved by Jesus, and he uses the hands of sinful men in the Protestant and the Catholic Church alike. But I certainly believe that he intended the Catholic Church, and he established it. Um, and history so will okay. bear me it's, out it's, on that. It's it's okay though to send the daughter a, a little first communion card and gift. Oh, or? I would say uh, make it a Catholic gift. Okay, <laughs> you know, I that, can do that. that uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, make it a Catholic gift. You know, a, a nice rosary or a uh, uh, or a, a crucifix. Maybe a crucifix won't be as point as a rosary. You don't want to insult the woman, but on the other hand, you want to remind of the the fullness of the truth that we have in the Catholic Church. That's what I would do. And if she says, well, why can't you come? Say, well, because I don't believe in what she's doing. I don't believe quite in what you're doing. I don't believe it's the body and blood of the Lord. And, well, how dare you? You, Catholics aren't better than Lutherans. Oh, no, maybe they're worse. (laughs) But (laughs) that's why we need the sacraments, because, (laughs) you know, yeah. Amen. (laughs) There you go. Always keep them wondering. That's how I would handle it. God bless and thanks Thanks, for calling in. Thank you. All right. Let's go to Bernadine, who's calling in from Las Vegas, Nevada, Las, uh, Nevada, as we say in Chicago. What can I do for you, Bernadine? Hi there, Father Simon. Thank you for taking my call. Um, my husband has asked me, he plays a lot of sports with a lot of guys who question yes. him about his faith because he wears a cross around his neck. And they say, they say to him, um, where is it in the Bible that Jesus and God are the same? John 10, 30, yeah. John 10, 30 uh, to 38, to 38. Um, 10, 30 to 38, okay. He says uh, um, he's claiming to be God, and they're going to stone him. And he says, the Father and I are one. 
So that's, I think, the, ah, the important thing. Okay. The Father and I are okay. one. And he, say, he says things like that all over. When he says, before Abraham was, I am. And I am was the name of God. Let me give you that one, too. Before yeah. Abraham... Okay, good grief. Good grief. Hold on. <laughs> Once again, good, good grief. grief. Thank you. <laughs> before Abraham was. Okay, I got it. I got it. All right, before this is John 8:48 to 59. Again, uh Jesus says in uh, um in 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 uh, um John 8:48 uh verse um uh let's see. Uh, where's, where's, which verse is it now? We the damage to me. Okay. Uh, in, in, um, oh, he's talking about here. They have a demon before Abraham was, I am. Oh, it's verse 58, 858, John 858. Truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say before Abram was, I was, he says, I am. And that is what God said to Moses when he said, who shall I say sent me? Sent, say, I am. <laughs> it's okay. what God calls himself. Okay. He just ams. Great. Thank you. <laughs> so there you go. Two verses. Yeah. There's a lot more where that came All right. from. All right. God bless. All God right. Bless you. We're, no, we're, thank you. Let us go now to where are we going? Michael from Maine. Are you with us, Michael? We just got a minute here. What can I do for you, Michael? I'm here. I'm here. Yes. I'm with you, Father. Good. Good. Um, so I was, um, I was, you, you brought back some, uh, current events here when you were talking about priests and saying eight masses yeah. and, um, I'm part of the admin staff of my parish and mm -hmm. I feel, I see a lot of the roles of ministries in our parish kind of being reduced to sort of lifting things up and putting them down, um, yeah. because it's just. It's, it's more like we try to um, preserve worship sites rather than the worship itself. Bingo! Um, Nicely put. You know, yeah, and you know, we've got like we've got four parish, four churches in our parish here in Maine, and we've got one church that's a neo-Gothic that's big enough to seat everybody who would come to mass on that one weekend in one in one mass. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and it's probably a beautiful a church because it's it's absolutely gorgeous. It's a gorgeous Catholic yeah. church. Um, it's actually the tallest structure in the state of Maine. And wow. Yeah. Beautiful. And, but it's, it's hard to get people. I, I lost my church, you know, 12 years ago when they started closing churches and it was the right thing to do. I'm not judging. Yeah. It was the right thing to do. We needed to get more oh, people it's together. So we, it's very painful. Oh, there's music in my head. You know, I'd love to call in again, Michael. I'd love to talk about this. You sound like somebody knows knows this is what I'm talking about here. All right. Well, speaking of people knowing what to talk about, Drew is coming up, and he's always good. And he doesn't go into tirades like I do. He's, he's pretty level. So don't go anywhere.